0: Hey, um, why don't you grab your Bibles and open it up to uh, Acts chapter 15. We're in the last little paragraph there in, in uh, that chapter. In fact, I kind of shrunk our text today from what was scheduled because I felt like there was enough to say in this little paragraph that would keep us busy. Um, so that means next week we got a lot of work to do. But um, anyway, chapter 15, and we'll go through 36 to uh, f- verses 41. I know uh, when I say this, it will come as no surprise to many of you that uh, conflict is an inevitable part of the Christian life. Yes? Yes, yes you, you probably know that. And, and, and maybe you're here and you go, I didn't expect that. You know, I had conflict before I became a Christian. I thought coming to Christ meant we'd lose the conflict. Well, um, Jesus made a promise to do a work in your life. He made a promise to change you, but freedom from conflict was never part of the deal. So I don't want to disappoint you, but that's, that's there it is. That's the reality. Um, I told you if you were here last week that chapter 15 to me is like the pinnacle chapter of our study in this narrative of the book of Acts. And uh, I called it the watershed moment. It's the biggest decision the church ever made, in my opinion, because they had a tense argument concerning the issue of salvation. In fact, if you want to title a chapter, this a great title for chapter 15 would be the chapter of conflict, because everything in it is about conflict. And the bulk of the chapter, as we saw last week, was the conclusion of a disagreement, a sharp disagreement, of whether sinners could be saved by grace alone or Jesus plus something else, okay? And, and so everyone gathered back at Jerusalem, and, and according, according to the text, it says really clearly that no small dissension or debate arose, and that's just, that's just language for argument. There was a heated debate about this issue. And good news, church, the conclusion was in favor of sinners, okay, that sinners get saved by grace, that we can't fix our problem, our problem's too great, that Jesus fixed it for us, and so by faith we, we go free. And we are saved from the judgment of God, the weight of our sin, and the hopelessness of life apart from God, and it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. Okay, that was the conflict last week, but today we're in the last section of 15 with another conflict. So if you're one of those people who likes to study ahead, more than likely, if you don't like spend some time digging in other places, you're going to end up with a few questions regarding this paragraph because something on the surface doesn't look right. Because in the smallest form of paraphrase I can give it, in this short section, two very strong believers have a huge fight and end up separating from each other. Now, none of that sounds godly or mature, if I'm just being honest. Like, that's how we used to behave. Jesus is supposed to change that, and yet here we have the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, heroes of our narrative, who have that moment. Okay, so just got us caught up to speed before we read this little section. Remember where we are in the story. Paul and Barnabas have traveled on their missionary journey. This tension about is it grace alone comes up. They all travel back to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the elders to have the conclusion uh, that we talked about last week. And now things are settled, and so Paul and Barnabas look at each other and say, hey, let's do that tour again. Let's go back to those churches, and let's tell them the good news of grace alone. Let's remind them of what we've told them in the first place, okay? So that's where we are in the storyline. So let's just read these six verses, and we'll pray together and dig in. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray together. God, as the chorus goes, open the eyes of our heart, I pray. Nothing is more common to people and, and to Christian people than conflict, for real. And so here we have an example of, of that kind of tension showing up, and we have examples of what you might be doing with it. So I pray that in our own life, uh, we would examine our tensions and our conflicts and the ways we in, in which we respond to them. And we... Uh, Let the Spirit sift us and work us and transform us into the image of Jesus, we pray, amen. You know, someone once said that Christians disagree about almost everything and when they do, they usually start a new church, okay? That's kind of the rule of thumb. Growing up in a pastor's home, I was was gonna say privilege, but I would put it like on the negative side. I had to sit at tables with lots of preachers, okay? At dinner, you know what I'm talking about? The missionary would come by and they would sit around the table. And you know what preachers do? At least back, back in that day, they would tell church jokes. You know what I'm saying? And most of them were corny, and they all corny. So I'm going to tell you a corny one that I heard many, many moons ago. That fits appropriately. There was a Presbyterian stranded on a desert island, okay? And he was rescued. And, and the captain said, man, I thought you were stranded alone. He goes, I was. He goes, well, what's with the three huts on the beach? Well, one's my house. The other one's my church. He said, what's with the third hut? He goes, well, that's my old church. therein lies the truth that's why we laugh people split for lots of reasons even with themselves so in our passage Paul and Barnabas are arguing um, over whether or not John Mark this young man has enough character if he's trustworthy enough to follow them along on this return visit to the churches on their first missionary journey and in this story uh We don't only see the history of this moment, what God's doing with these two men or these three men particularly in the early church. We also get a helpful lesson, I believe, on how Christians should respond to tensions and how they should respond when they disagree about something because you have Paul, significant man in our history, and Barnabas, and I would say significant man in the early church, and they disagree, so... For sake of just notes, if you like to take notes, I've kind of entitled this sermon, Biblical Principles on Disagreement. That'll help us kind of get to where I'm going. I've got six things I want to tell you about from the text today. Number one is this, disagreement between brothers isn't strange, so don't be surprised when it happens. Amen. (laughs) Two people that have disagreed said amen to that. Listen, all you need is time and you're going to say amen to that story scriptures, by the way, give us several examples of that truth. In Romans chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we see disagreements over things that we would call superficial, and they probably are. Can you eat meat sacrificed to to idols? That came up in a debate with the early church. How should we handle the liberties that so-called the church has now in Christ? Man, that liberty is going too far, and we have a debate about those things. You know, and so we argue, and should we obey the Sabbath, whatever? Those were things that were mentioned by Paul. But some things got a little bit more heady, you know, specifically in Colossians chapter two, we see things like the discussion and debate over angels. We see debate over new moon moon celebrations and how the church should respond to those things. In 1 Thessalonians chapter five, debating over the second coming of Jesus, unity in, in Philippians two. There's lots of debates that have gone on in the church past and they continue to happen now. In our case right here, the argument isn't over a thing, it's over a person, and his name is John Mark. A young man. By the way, responsible for writing the gospel Mark. So he's he's somebody, at least in our history, but at this point in time, there were some questions about this man. So what Paul is referring to in, in, in this short section in verse 37 and 38 where he says, Barnabas does not want to take John with them, and Paul said, no, I don't think so. And we don't see any... Any much more narrative there other than the fact that he had not gone with them to the work they were, they were called to. And so, what he's referring to, we already studied in chapter 13 and 14, where Paul, Barnabas, and Mark were beginning a huge work to travel around to witness, to be a voice of the gospel in the world, to strengthen Christians and taking that gospel everywhere they went. And almost before it even gets started, John Mark bails out. That's all we know of it. In fact, in chapter 13 14, it's mentioned so briefly that it, it doesn't even seem to be a problem like it's not even an issue at that point, we don't know. But here we know something was brewing, something happened. We don't know really what it was, but we can speculate a little bit of what a, possibilities could have caused this separation. One of the things was that maybe this trip, as all missionary trips in that day, was kind of like taking your life into your own hands. This place, this trip was filled with danger and dangerous people. So, so maybe, maybe Mark just looked at it and go, Nah, that's, that's over my pay grade. I, I'd rather not be under suffering, so I'm out. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe there was a clash with Paul. Who knows? Maybe, maybe Mark said something. Paul said something. Maybe they didn't agree then, and Mark split over it. Maybe John was, a, or Mark was a homebody, and he was homesick, and he barely got started, and he wanted to go back home. Maybe, maybe he just wasn't tough enough. I think that kind of encapsulates whatever answer you want to put to it. But whatever it was, it wasn't good. And, and in Paul's mind, it was much more than not just good. It was weakness, and it was compromise. Paul took it very seriously. And in chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are gearing up for the second trip. They're kind of preparing themselves, excited about the news that the council had in Jerusalem. Like, hey, we get to tell everybody it's free. It's grace alone, and we get to go tell them. And so Barnabas says, well, let's grab Mark, and we'll go. mm not that easy so Paul reacts to that suggestion to Barnabas and Barnabas reacts to Paul and what you have is a disagreement and not a little one, a huge one, a big disagreement. Does that surprise you? Like we're talking about good things here, right? Missionary stuff, telling people the good news of grace alone and Christ alone. We get to tell people that. Before we even begin, we're fighting with each other. Does that surprise you? I mean, we spiritualize these guys, and I understand it. I do too. But if you picture Paul and Barnabas in your mind, you think you think godly men with quiet tones who pray over every issue and say, "Hey, let's 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 come back to this subject." And they hardly ever raise their voice, and it's all kind. And well, I want you to remember that these are men, no different than you are. Were they called? Yes. Were they gifted? Yes. Were they used? Yes. Do we know them for what God did with them? Yes, but they were men. And they have similarities to our struggles. Um, And so disagreement isn't strange, not for them and not for us. Let let me tell you why, and this is the second principle about how Christians should deal with disagreement. Even though we serve the same God, we don't always see the same way. It's not strange and it's not strange because we don't see from the same perspective, okay? <clears throat> Barnabas said, let's bring Mark, no brainer. Paul said, no, not any way, shape, or form. And there was no middle ground. It's not like Barnabas said, hey, let's bring John Mark. And Paul said, well, let me let me think about coaching him up because he wasn't quite the man I wanted before, so we'll spend some time, we'll go through a Bible study together and we'll pray and he'll be good. And it's not like Barnabas said, hey, I want to understand how you feel, Paul, because you're really serious about this. So I'm going to take some time and really consider your approach and and your perspective because God knows you've got a gift. And so let's just stop for a second and work on it. No. One suggestion, one no, we're done. No middle ground. That's how it happened. Total impasse. And here's why. I want you to see why. Because they were both looking at the same task ahead of them through the lens of their own spiritual giftedness. They, they were seeing this missionary trip through the way God had shaped them. L- let me prove my point. Paul, I don't have to tell you much for you not to scroll back in your understanding of Paul. Paul was a driven man. He understood the call, go into the world and preach the gospel everywhere to all peoples, all tribes, all nations. He was on mission. Paul was a mission man. He was a serious man. He was a type A kind of guy. Before he was a Christian Christian, He was a Pharisee. He was a zealot. He killed Christians for a living. That's the kind of guy he was. God wasn't finished with him, but that's what he was. And so that personality, that drive didn't go away. It got redirected. You understand? Paul could only see mission. That's why you look at Barnabas, and I'm sympathetic to him because he was looking through the lens of his strengths too, and his strengths were people. Barnabas was a people guy. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Everywhere you see Barnabas show up in the text, he's encouraging somebody. He's a people guy. He builds up others. He believes in other people. And if anybody should know that, the apostle Paul should know that because when Paul was converted to Christ, the church wanted nothing to do with him. They were terrified of this guy who killed Christians. And who was it in chapter 9 of Acts who introduced Paul to the apostles and said, he's cool, trust me. He's okay. He's truly one of us. Who was it? It was Barnabas. So Paul should have thought, you know, this is his deal. This is his game. And I appreciate it because I'm a recipient of that grace. But, but he couldn't see it. I think what made Paul and Barnabas such a great team, by the way, is because they were gifted in two entirely different ways. Could you imagine Barnabas being the bridge builder everywhere he went? He was the people guy. People liked Barnabas. And Paul, because of his drive, he's focused on mission, because of his intellect and his training, because of his way with speech, he could stand up and and communicate the gospel in profound ways. And people go, wow, what he says, I want. Great team, people and skill. So it's not just possible. It's probable that someday you'll witness two godly followers of Jesus coming to completely different conclusions, even in tension because every one of us look at stories and situations through the lens of our strength. Every one of us do that. So I guess there's something we could do about this truth, and that is be self-aware enough of our own gifts. Like, do you know how God wired you? Do you know where it fits? Do you know what you do and therefore what you shouldn't do? Are you discerning enough of other people's gifts so that two things happen? One is you stay in your lane and you appreciate them in theirs. See, that would probably have some kind of help to our tensions when we see things differently. Here's principle number three. Our arguments will always be as intense as our convictions. Our arguments will always be as intense as our convictions I want you to know how strong this disagreement was, and I'm not exaggerating. The the phrase we have here in verse 39 is sharp disagreement. Do you see that? And there arose a sharp disagreement. In the Greek, it's one word, and here's what the word means. It means violent, hostile, angry, sharp, and bitter. Luke, who wrote this narrative, picked the precise word to describe what happened between Barnabas and Paul. Hostile, angry, bitter, violent, Disagreement. It was a big fight they had. Okay, the, in the message, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this moment this way, where he says Barnabas wanted to take John along, the John nicknamed Mark, but Paul wouldn't have him. He wasn't about to take a quitter along. As soon as the t- going got tough, he jumped ship on them. Tempers flared, and they end up going their separate ways. Period. End of story. Sounds like a thousand stories you've heard in your life. Some you've even experienced. And, and just to make sure you understand entire, in the entirety of what's going on here, let me paint the picture even clearer, because the verb tense used for the sharp disagreement is an imperfect tense, so let me tell you what that means. It means a continual, ongoing, unending, unyielding, heated debate. So don't just pick this. Violent, heated, ongoing. This is not a discussion they had once, and they were done with. They were fighting, plural, about this. It was an on going argument, and both of the men knew they were right. (laughs) Sound familiar? Sounds like every argument I've ever been in. So what do you think? Who is right? The text doesn't tell us, doesn't say, therefore, who, who do you think is right? I think I know how you'll answer it. You will also answer that question through the lens of your strength. Like if you're a mission person, like if the task is preeminent to you, well, you're going to sympathize with Paul. The dude's trying to get stuff done. He knows exactly what he should be taking on this trip. And if you're a people person, man, your heart is inclined to Barnabas. Like, man, he's always caring. He's always encouraging. And so you probably would pick one or the other. Can I suggest to you my opinion? I think they're both right and they're both wrong. That's what I think. Okay. And I'll tell you how they're wrong in a minute. But let me tell you again, just to repeat it, how they're both right. Let, let me just ask you a question and you'll have the answer. Is going into all the world and preaching the gospel important? Yes. I'm not impressed with your answer. <laughs> okay. Is it important? Yes. Yeah. It's like a big deal. Jesus said last thing before he left, right? Here's what I want you to do until I come back. Preach the gospel everywhere. Is mission important? Yes. yes. Is loving others important? Yes. Are they both right? Yes. Yeah. You can't... Pick one or the other. They're, they're both right in this sense, and I'm glad they were both wired the way they were. I'm glad Barnabas was the son of encouragement. I'm glad Paul was driven and intense. I'm, I'm glad for those things. But but they were also both wrong. I'm going to show you that in just a second. Let me give you principle number four. God is moving even through our disagreements. Uh, this, in my opinion, is simple math. Let me prove it, okay? Before the argument, before the argument, you had two men, one team, One place at a time. After the argument, five men, two teams, multiple places. Good or bad? Yeah. God is multiplying his efforts. The result of that argument is God's gospel going to more places around the world. And God did a good thing. On your refrigerator, probably somewhere, if it's not in there now, it'll be there, has been there, Romans 8, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. All things, all things. You look at your life so specifically like he's going to take that suffering or that sickness or whatever, and God's going to do good things. But he uses even tension. He wastes nothing. Our God is frugal that way. And I'm not suggesting at all that this justifies some sin. It simply illustrates what we say all the time from this pulpit. God can and does take our bad and use it for our good and his glory. That's what he does, and only he can do that. The things that we mess up are not lost. Amen? God can take those things and start doing another work. And in this situation, through a tension that I believe some men probably finished poorly, God sent two teams into the world to preach the gospel. God wins. Okay. Let me give you the fifth principle. We should always leave disagreements with love, not bitterness. And this is where I believe that Paul and Barnabas were wrong. Okay, verse 39, let me prove my point. Luke uses a word to describe how this ended. Look at 39 again. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. That Greek word means to part asunder. It's the most extreme way to describe a separation between people. So just get this. They split. Their friendship was torn apart. No doubt like any friendship that's torn apart involves some kind of bitterness, some kind of anger, some kind of judgmentalness, right? I'm not suggesting that Paul wrote letters about it or Barnabas did, but I could imagine them under their breath going, Paul, such a driven guy. He didn't care about people. Or Paul talking about Barnabas. Barnabas, he's a softie. He'd let anybody come on a missionary journey. You know, that kind of stuff, just rumbling in the background. And they split from each other. No mention whatsoever in the text about a reconciliation before they left. Like, okay, we just see things from a different perspective. I hope God blesses you on your trip. It's done and it's over with. In fact, there's no mention anymore about Barnabas, again, in history. It's very interesting. Barnabas was a big player early on in Acts. He's now moving out. Paul's coming up. The only other time he's mentioned is one small little sentence in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think it is, or chapter 9, verse 6. He's gone. They're just done with each other. And to me, it's a little bit funny that it's the Apostle Paul, as we read through the rest of the epistles, that talks about unity in the church more than anybody else. I think over time, he learned, and So things like Romans 12, love one another with brotherly affection. Live in harmony with one another. Ephesians 4, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Philippians 2, be of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord of one another. Okay? So here's what I believe. I believe God wouldn't let this break go for nothing. And I'm certain Paul, through his trips and his journeys now, and we'll see next week with this young disciple named Timothy, And Silas, that uh, Paul constantly reflected on and was being taught on that moment. And so that later he would have some things to say about unity and brotherhood and agreement. In fact, I think it's through the wisdom of, of what Paul has learned that he even pens in Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. And my guess is that Paul probably had in his mind this disagreement with Barnabas. And maybe in his mind he concluded, we couldn't be at peace it wasn't gonna happen, which is a good reminder to be honest with you, sometimes separation from a brother is better than ongoing fighting with the brother, it just is better, okay? To me, it's amazing that Luke included this story, because you know this, that, that Acts doesn't include every minute of every day of the life in the times of Paul or Barnabas or any other apostle. They're selected narratives to try to give us a picture of what God was doing in the world through the gospel of Jesus. Luke included this story, this weird, rather hide it, bad moment. Why, why would he put it in here? Why, why would it be here? Let me suggest to you a couple of reasons. One is that it, it reinforces what we say all the time. God only saves sinners, not super saints. As much as you might think of Paul, as much as you might think of Barnabas, God saves sinners. And here's another truth I think is, is always true, and that God uses only incomplete men. Men with passions, yes, men with feelings, men with opinions, men with convictions, but he uses people that aren't finished yet. I'm glad because nobody here would be used if he needed a finished person. So think about it. Church, this is real. These are real people, are being really refined every day, made new every day, and God's not finished until He's finished. Amen? Let me give you the last principle. Time is a great counselor. And maybe I should be a little bit more clear. You know it's not time that I'm referring to. I'm referring to what God does with time that makes it a great counselor, right? Because over time, what we find out with Paul, he finally does mention Barnabas in that small little sentence in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And what he says of him is good. He, he says in a very short little fashion that Barnabas is a faithful servant worthy of honor. That's basically what it says in a paraphrase form. He, he could have said Barnabas, a softy who, will, you know, do the wrong thing. He didn't. He came around to consider Barnabas and communicate about him in, in good terms. And it was over time, at the end of Paul's life, he's in prison chained to a wall, and he says this in 2 Timothy, Luke alone is with me go get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful for me in ministry. This Mark, this Mark who wasn't worth two cents on the second missionary journey, the Mark who had failed to such a degree that Paul said, no way, not him, not now, not ever. And now over time, here's, here's Paul wrapping it up, chained to a wall, says, you know what he is now? Mark is useful in ministry now over time. That is so different than Acts 15. What made the change? Well, let me suggest to you perspective, growth, wisdom, and love. That's what makes the change. You can't microwave this, folks. What God is doing in our lives, in the cumulative narrative of all of our lives together, you you can't rush it. God accomplishes all these things over time. There's so many of us who think, kind of have expectations that are wrong when it comes to our discipleship and our growth. We want to microwave everything. God, finish it. Make it perfect. Make it now. But you understand that, that there's a ripple of God's grace working in your life and working in the world all the time with broken things, right? You understand that, right? He's transforming people and situations and broken stories in his perfect timing for our good to his glory and ultimately for our joy. That's what he's doing. So I don't know, I don't know what story came to mind when you hear tensions. So tensions that equal division. Um, and in this particular case, God eventually restored both Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark at some degree. So my prayer and my assumptions are that somewhere in this sermon you've probably thought about attention, a separation. And you're absolutely certain you were right. You were absolutely convinced that your opinion, your perspective, your take on the story was the story. And the other person did too. And the impasse was harsh and extreme and it equaled some kind of distance maybe. Okay? I want you to remember, God is not finished with you yet. Huge potential of you being wrong and he's not finished with it yet he's not done with that story yet god is his timing's perfect so just like i don't know what was behind the scenes when eventually mark was considered worthy for service i don't know what all god did there but it happened and god was always on time and nothing goes to waste let let, let me finish with one last encouragement this morning and i want to take it through a just a just a few sentences to get us to a clear gospel understanding of, of the good news of even this tension, okay? The simplicity of the gospel we confess is life only comes by faith in Jesus alone. We talked about it last week. Like in the scriptures, we're defined as dead in our trespasses and sins. We are unresponsive to God. Spiritual things are foolishness to us. We cannot perceive, nor do we see a need in our own hearts. We are removed from God. It is God's goodness and grace that draws us. His His kindness leads us to repentance. And what we do is we trust in Christ alone. That's the good news, free from the consequences and condemnation, okay? That's the simplicity of that confession. But the expression of that life is also equally simple. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here's how you show it. Love other people like you love yourself. It's never been complicated. <laughs> I get it, it's hard, but it's never been complicated. So what makes that pursuit so difficult? If it's, if it's easy to understand, love him with everything you got, and just turn that affection on people, prove it by loving people. Why is that pursuit so difficult? Can I suggest to you selfishness? we're all stuck on us, we're stuck on ourselves. So someone might say, well, just go fix it, stop being selfish, just quit it, you know? But nothing is so camouflaged in our life as selfishness is. Selfishness is hidden and it's under the edges of our life. I can say to you, we're all selfish and you would all go, yeah, we are. And then I could take you moment by moment, minute by minute, relationship by relationship in your life, and you probably wouldn't see it because it's hidden, hidden under opinions. But here's another truth, and I think it's always true. It's been in my life, so just deal with my perspective on this anyway. Nothing confronts or exposes our selfishness like a quarrel. So here's what God has always done for me. I I don't see it at the time as a good thing, but it's always a good thing. I can fight with the best of them. I think God, I mean, if there's a spiritual gift of fighting, I have it. Whatever that is, all right? I'm sort of being sarcastic there, but disagreement and debate, it doesn't bother me. But God never lets me rest. There's never a good night after that. There's always a, oh, I said that. I can't believe I said that. I hurt them. I saw it in their eyes. I regret that. So here in this wonderful expression of how God wants to change us into people who love him with everything by loving other people, this spirit of God works in my life when I quarrel with others to bring me to confession and repentance and to love. And that particular destination is proof of the gospel, the good news alive in me. Do you understand? So so if there's conviction this morning, church, if there's conviction, don't, don't don't look at it like, oh my gosh, it's heavy. Trust that the Lord and the Spirit is refining us as a church like he refined Paul. No doubt, like he refined Barnabas. By the way, don't let Barnabas get off the hook. He separated too. It wasn't like he was standing there weeping, praying for Paul to come back. He split angry too. We, as a church, have some thinking to do maybe about places where we divide over things that don't look like love. Would you agree? Let's pray for his help. Lord God, I thank you for uh, this story and the example that it leaves for for us. How um, encouraged I am that these men, sinners saved by grace, empowered by the Spirit, doing wonderful works, are being refined even in this narrative. And it reminds us how we're being refined and how we see things differently because of how you've wired us and how we have a tendency to split over the wrong things. I just, I just pray, God, that you would make our hearts sensitive and soft. And where it, it can equal peace, I pray that we can pursue it with our brothers and sisters, maybe with our wives and our husbands and our children, whatever it, whatever it is, as far as it depends upon us, God. I pray that we live at peace. Because of the good news of the peace between you and us, uh, we, can, we can believe that and hope that. We pray it in Christ's name, amen.